philosopher Dr. Jack Russell Weinstein joins us once a month to talk about philosophical currents. And this time we are going to take a look at the holidays because there are a lot of them coming up. And of course, at the end of the year now, there have been a lot that have happened all year. Jack, thanks for joining us today. I'm happy to be here and happy holiday season. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start with the idea that holidays have something to do with our collective identity. As a philosopher, how do you think about how much we care about our holidays? Well, look, there are times in our nation or in our sort of tribes and communities where we are individuals or we are private families. But there are other times when we are a group, we're a cohesive community, where we're, you know, a large, integrated whole with lots of working parts. And holidays address those sorts of things. Holidays address the things we have in common, not necessarily the things that we have indifference, right? And so we choose the days, we choose the events, we choose the stories that allow us to communicate and reaffirm what it means to have this, as you referred to, collective identity, the sense that there is a self larger than us that we are a part of, but that's a self that existed before us and that is going to exist after us. And so we're creating a continuity of that identity with the people who initially created the holiday or who did the event and with the people who aren't yet born. So it is very common for people from the United States to think of themselves as rugged individualists. Should those people not be celebrating holidays? That's a really good question. And I don't necessarily think that it's about the same thing, right? I mean, a rugged individualist that wouldn't celebrate a holiday might be an anarchist, right? Might be (laughs) someone who doesn't believe in government at all, doesn't believe in community at all. But what makes a rugged individualist so special in our lore is that they are the foundation of the community. They give us virtues that we should strive for. They, they, they offer us a vision of how to help others, how to help yourself, how to set yourself on a path that, that other people can talk about, right? So no one is a pure individualist. No one, uh, you know, unless you live in, uh, you're a hermit and you live in the woods, right? No one is completely alone. And so what the idea of rugged individualism is, is this sort of story of what we think the virtuous American should be. But that itself is a collective identity because we have to all assent to it. We have to all agree to it. And then we have to put it in our history books and we have to put it on our stamps and we have to talk about it in our television commercials. Right. Otherwise, it's just one person's opinion. Well, let's talk about the one that's coming up this week, Thanksgiving, very much a big deal in the United States. There is a Thanksgiving in Canada, but it's not anywhere near the, you know, parades uh, and the big football games and the taking the two days uh, off to just to recover from how much you ate and then the Black Friday shopping. Um, But then other countries, you know, that that just really isn't a day set aside for that. Uh, Now, some would argue, well, because they practice it a bit more regularly. But I'm curious, as a philosopher, what do you think the big celebration 
of Thanksgiving says about this collective identity here? Well, I think that every culture, every community should have days of Thanksgiving. I think that everyone should take some time and recognize what they are grateful for and to show appreciation for that thing. I mean, life has a lot of negatives. Life is harder than we want it to be. There's always something new around the corner. But at the same time, there's incredible beauty in the world. There's incredible gifts of love and companionship, wonderful food, beautiful uh, vistas, you know, all those sorts of things. And every culture should have a day of Thanksgiving. What we see in the United States is that our official day of Thanksgiving is also wrapped up with the story that we want to tell about our country. It isn't an accurate story. It isn't, you know, um, factually, you know, precise. It's it's a mythology that we have, and the mythology is that these people who were lost found a group of people who helped them taught them and that they formed a great community that then lasted throughout the centuries. You know, that's a wonderful story. And there's nothing wrong with telling that story. There's nothing wrong with being happy that we are where we are right now and that all of these people participated in it. At the same time, if we really want to be thankful for the community that we're in, we also have to recognize all of the people along the way who didn't fit into that myth, who didn't, you know, uh, receive the benefit of the doubt. And that by telling the story, we are creating a vision for what we want the country to be in the future, even if it isn't now. And I think that that's really important. I think that, that this, this period of time – now, I personally – I love Thanksgiving because I like the food. I like the gathering. I like the, 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 the social aspect of it. There's no gifts. There's, there's, you know, there's none of that pressure. But at the same time, I also recognize that it's a heavenly laden uh, holiday, especially for – Native Americans, right, who mm-hmm. who have suffered under tremendous, um, you know, injustice for hundreds of years. It's important to acknowledge that, too. And I think what people forget when we have debates like this is that you can have more than one emotion at the same time. You can have more than one motivation at the same time. So you can be happy that you're with your friends. You can be grateful for your life while at the same time wishing it were different or acknowledging with sadness or disappointment or even anger the things that happened along the way. When we have these conversations, we tend to have such simplistic views of holidays and of the participants or the celebrants when in fact all of this stuff is tremendously complicated And to really celebrate it, we have to celebrate that complexity. So is having Native American Heritage Day the day after Thanksgiving enough or is this lip service? Well, it's certainly not enough, but that also depends on what you mean by enough, right? I mean, (laughs) if you mean uh, will having a dedicated holiday towards Native American recognition resolve all of the injustice and suddenly, you know, recognize the treaties that the country has broken, then Mm. no, it's not enough. But if what you mean is, is it good and is it important and should it be celebrated that we are institutionalizing our relationship with Native Americans, with our history, with Native Americans, then it's certainly a good start. It's certainly something that should be, you know, acknowledged and again celebrated because that's the first step, right? 
if everyone just did that privately, if everyone did that amongst themselves or in their families and they just sort of told stories about Native Americans, that would be important and that would be good. But having the actual recognition from the government, putting it on the calendars, making it a holiday, recognizing that you can, again, like have stamps or coins or posters or, or television shows about it. Once something is institutionalized, it lasts longer than the participants. And that, again, is the purpose of the holiday for the events, for the ideas, for the, the goals, for the history to outlast those who experience it, outlast those who remembered it and to communicate from generation to generation so that we can continue this great narrative that we are all a part of. What about we have seen a growing number of communities, sometimes on a city level, sometimes on a state level, but not yet on a national level. Uh, instead of doing Columbus Day, they are celebrating or honoring Indigenous Peoples Day. And a lot of blowback about that. And I'm curious your thoughts on is this revisionist history and what does that even mean? So the the phrase revisionist history is a really, really good phrase because – it's got two sides of the same coin, right? On the one hand, what revisionist history means is we are telling a story that we haven't told before. We are changing the story. Now, that may seem negative, but often we're changing the story to be more accurate, right? We're changing the story to be more factual. And in that sense, the revisionist history is a good thing. And so the recognition of, of, of indigenous peoples it, to replace – Columbus is a recognition of the horrible things that Christopher Columbus did, right? First of all, he didn't discover North America, right? There were plenty of people before him and there were explorers before him. Uh, he was instrumental in genocide. He was instrumental in slavery and rape and 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 corrupting Catholicism in some really important ways. I mean, there's lots of awful stuff. And so I think it's an important acknowledgement to, to revise the history to be more accurate. At the same time, because we are in a democracy, because so much of our politics is grassroots and starts in communities, it's not going to happen from the top down. You're not just going to wake up one day and the U.S. government is going to say, poof, there's a new holiday. It has to come from the people. And what we're seeing now is, for lack of a better term, a trial run, right? We're seeing here are the communities that are recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day. How many communities are there? How diverse are those communities? Are they urban? Are they rural? Are they north? Are they south? Are they poor? Are they rich? How much is this spreading? And at a certain point, there's going to be enough of a spread, enough of a national distribution that the federal government is going to say, okay, the American people are ready for this. This is what the American people want. Let's make it a federal holiday. And that's probably the way it should work because we live in a democracy and democracy should be bottom up, not top down. And it is the first time that did really happen with Juneteenth. It was declared a federal holiday this year. That's right. And Juneteenth is such an interesting holiday because it's an important recognition of the fact that the news of liberation didn't reach everyone it was supposed to. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Juneteenth celebrates when uh, – 
the, the African-Americans in Texas were suddenly told that they were free, even though it happened long after they were freed. Right. Now, Years. what a sophisticated holiday that is, right? And in, And what I mean by that is – What a layered story, right? You have the celebration of freedom, but you have a celebration of the imperfection of freedom. You have a celebration of communication, but you also have a celebration that some people are not attended to when they should be. You have the celebration of this culture, of a a subculture. I don't like that term in the sense, but, but, you know, of of the African-American community, whatever that means. But you also have a celebration of the fact that they are – a part of American and they are American citizens and they are equal to all other ethnic or racial groups. And so what's super interesting about Juneteenth is that it is by definition an incredibly layered, complex, sophisticated holiday that necessitates a conversation that maybe Thanksgiving doesn't really inspire anymore because we're just so used to it that we take it for granted. Is it a federal holiday if it's not a paid day off? Well, you know, it not by definition. <laughs> you know, I mean, but I mean, there are ho- layers to this federal holiday sure, thing. Sure. Some of them are paid days off, and this one's not. Right, and 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 a lot of that has to do with you know, does it happen on a Monday or a Friday? Right, you know, are they going to want to sell cars on that day? You know, I mean, that's a public policy decision, and. The government, as the policymaker, is always going to be the moral leader, the, 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 the mentor, the guidepost. And so if the government says, well, this is a super important holiday, but we're not going to give you a day off, then that's going to set the tone for everyone else. But if the government says, well, we're going to give you a day off, uh, then that, that communicates to everyone else that this is really important. This is so important that we're paying people to celebrate it. And – I think that's a matter of opinion and I think that that's a matter of your vision of the world, your sense of politics, your sense of the importance of work versus play. And of course, right now with all of the tensions in our nation, with especially the racial tension in our nation, it also is a message as to you know how we expect ourselves to move forward. And so I can see – both arguments, but I myself personally would happily take more paid off vacations, you know, <laughs> keep giving them to me. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to take them. <laughs> well, y- you said about Juneteenth and about Columbus Day, there is this invitation for conversation and a deeper understanding of why this day is set aside. And I'm wondering if really some of this is just a matter of semantics of of what we name something, because a holiday sounds like a joyous festival thing. And you can make the argument that holidays are about celebrating an ideal. But we wouldn't say something like, Holocaust remembrance holiday. This is a remembrance. This is a much more somber occasion. What about this idea that maybe we just don't call these things holidays and we call them remembrances? There is a case to be made that the words that you use set the tone. And I think the examples that you're giving are are really helpful, right? I mean, Thanksgiving holiday is for eating. July 4th holiday is for barbecuing. Holocaust Remembrance Day is for reflection and for meditation. But 
in order to really understand what's going on, I think we have to look at the 20th century writ large, right? Up until the 1950s, up until actually the early 1960s, we had this sense of what gets called American exceptionalism, that we talked about America and its holidays in fairly two-dimensional ways, and it was dominated by Christian visions, and it was dominated by white visions, and it was dominated largely by Protestant visions. And then during you know the, the, the various different cultural revolutions in the 1960s, what the, the voices said was, these holidays that you think claim are happy are not actually happy holidays, right? That Thanksgiving is not a happy day, that July 4th is not um, a day of simple celebration, that everything we do in this country is complex and laden and wrapped up in the best of us and the worst of us. And so ever since that shift in the 1960s, we have had to contend culturally with the fact that a two-dimensional celebration is not an accurate reflection of our history. And so I say that because on the one hand, I think your division of, of holiday versus Remembrance Day is an important one and helps set the tone for what we want to do that day. But on the flip side, the counter voices, the, the, the folks who are fighting for various different visions of justice, what they're saying is there's no such thing as a holiday in the sense that you're articulating. There's no such thing as a purely happy day. Everything has victims. Everything has paths not taken. And we can celebrate the good, but we also have to recognize the bad. And the legacy of that shift in the mid-60s has driven so much discourse in our in our culture uh, that that, you know, it's 50 years later and we are still, mm -hmm. you know, we're still having this conversation on the radio. You know, in your answer, you you said happy holidays, and that has very much become one of those words that can make certain people kind of angry, and they're saying that you're taking uh, the religiousness out of the holidays of this time of year, of, of, you know, celebrating the birth of Christ. What's interesting to me about that is holidays is sort of a contraction of holy dog, it's, and, it, and it meant holy days. And I'm wondering, is getting mad at somebody saying, holidays the same as getting mad at somebody who says can't instead of cannot? <laughs> well, you know, okay, so I, I think I'm going to say something that's probably more controversial <laughs> than, 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 you, than, than maybe I want it to be. But there was a, uh, there was a discussion uh, a few weeks ago about uh, vaccine mandates and there was a, ho uh, there was a hospital uh, down south that said, okay, if you are going to – uh, refuse the vaccine for religious reasons. Then you also have to refuse Tylenol. You have to refuse all of these things. If you go back similarly to discussions about conscientious objectors in, in the Vietnam War, you couldn't just believe that violence was wrong. You had to be part of a religious denomination that saw violence as wrong and you had to have it formalized. I use those examples to say, if what you are saying is, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to be a capitalist and I'm going to celebrate all of the secular stuff, but I want you to say Merry Christmas because it's a religious holiday. I just don't believe you, right? I think that's a political argument. I think that's a partisan battle. And what you're really doing is saying, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat and I want you to be a Republican or you to be a, de a Democrat. But if you are a profoundly religious person, if your Christmas day is spent at church, really worshiping, if you're there 
the night before for midnight mass, if you uh, are really praying at your meals, if you're if you're doing all of these things, then it's a holy day. But otherwise, it's just another holiday. It's just another day that we take off, that we get to be with our family, that we think of other people and buy gifts. And I don't think those things are bad. When I say it's just another, I don't mean to diminish that, but it's not a holy day. And if it's a real holy day, then you have to recognize that other people have real holy days too, right? That other people have their own religions. And you can decide that you are offended by people not acknowledging your religiosity. You can also decide not to acknowledge other people's religiosity. That's all fair game because we're allowed to be offended by what we're offended by. We're allowed to want other people to do things that they necessarily won't do. But if the argument is that it is a holy day, then I as a philosopher, I'm going to say, okay, show me how you've made it holy. Show me how you have committed yourself to the religious vision of this and engaged in the religious rituals and intertwined the spirituality, the spirituality holistically in you. Otherwise, it's just another bumper sticker. And I think that that's really important because that's the difference between the communal aspect and the private aspect in our culture. Idealist, ideally, religion is a private matter. And so if you want to have a holy day, in general, it's a private uh, act between you and your family, between your family, you and your, your, your house of worship, and all of that's fine. And if um, even if you're evangelical, it's still a private matter. It's just a private matter you're trying to recruit other people for. Christmas as a sort of commercial holiday – that's not private. That's public. And we know that because there's decorations everywhere and there's, you know, horrible songs on the radio and there's, you know, Christmas in the park and Grand Forks. And none of that is private and none of that is religious. So I don't necessarily or, or rather none of that is authentically religious. And so if someone says it's a holy day, I want to see evidence that they're making it holy in their actions and in their beliefs. What do you mean by authentically religious? Why do you get to decide what that means? <laughs> well, I certainly don't decide it, but authentically <laughs> religious does not mean pure in any way, right? So interestingly enough, uh, Buddhism didn't have statues of Buddha until the, the Alexander the Great brought Greek and Hellenistic culture to that part of the world. The, the, the Christmas tradition is pagan in its roots because Jesus wasn't born in December, right? So there's nothing that pure. What authentically religious means is that when you practice it, you act from a religious perspective, from a religious point of view, and that it represents your true beliefs insofar as you see them. And so it's not so much that I'm deciding whether someone is authentically religious, but I am as a philosopher defining what authentic means in that context, which is it is really about their own personal, honest spirituality, and their behaviors reflect that as opposed to something more public, something more commercial, something more uh, superficial. Philosopher Dr. Jack Russell Weinstein, thanks for your time. A pleasure as always.